Welcome to the More Sure Word Podcast with Pastor Matt Russell, teaching and explaining the Word of God verse by verse for your spiritual growth. Here's Pastor Matt with today's sermon. Let's go before the Lord to ask for His blessing upon our study tonight. Father, I'm in great need of You and Your Spirit. Help me to teach your word accurately. Help me to rightly divide the word of truth. Lord, sanctify your sons and daughters in the truth. Your word is truth. Help us to have a vision of your glorious love, your divine love, your unspeakable, unfathomable love. May it fill our hearts and our minds overflowing. And may it flow from us to one another. May we bask in the radiance of your glorious love for us. Help me, Lord, to communicate something of this divine reality, this eternal mystery. Father, I trust you will do your work now. Your word does not return void. And so I come before you boldly in the name of the Son, whom I pray. Amen. Please open your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. We continue to make our way through this letter, and we come to chapter 4 and these four verses. I've titled this section, A Love Like No Other. A Love Like No Other. And I begin, I commence with a very simple question. That I put before you tonight. Why is it so difficult to love others? Why is it so difficult to love other people? What causes us to struggle, to serve, to sacrifice, to lay down ourself for someone else? I think that one good place to look is to our father, Adam. I think that if we look in the beginning, we can get an idea of something of this struggle. In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth. He created all that was in it, and He called it good. He created man and woman in His image. He called them very good. He put Adam in a lush garden, full of vegetation, full of nourishment, full of the delights of his creative mind, the animals, the marvelous, breathtaking creation. He gave him Eve, and they lived together in perfect relationship. And even greater than that, he gave of them, he gave them of himself, perfect relationship, perfect communion with God, the source of all good things. And yet what happened? Adam chose not God, but himself. He chose not the deity, but he chose to try to become a deity. He ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and replaced his sufficiency and his his source of all things in God with himself. He thought... He could become wise. He could become like God. And thus Adam fell 
into sin. And thus we see something of the sin nature that we all inherited from our father Adam. This desire to serve, to seek satisfaction for ourselves, This desire to become a little God. And so we are separated from the one true God. For he gets in our way. He gets in our pursuit of our own glory, our own deification. And so we are out of sync with others. We have separated and ruined relationship with others because everyone else is their own little God. And we're all butting heads into one another as we seek for our own glory and compete for our own self-exaltation. And even after salvation, we wage war with this old self. We continue to fight to put to death this, this old self that desires self-glory, self-satisfaction, self-pleasure. This old self that does not desire to enjoy God and seek His glory. Christians are supposed to be marked by love like no other. Selfless, sacrificial love. Humble Love And John reminded the believers in Asia Minor of this very truth. He comes back to this primary feature of the Christian life. Love. Love like no other. Christian love. Divine love. And yet we know something of this Christian love. We each have experienced it. It can grow cold. It can start to be hardened. It can grow dim and weak. How often do we think to ourselves, what can I do for my parents today? How can I serve my friend today? How can I reach out and lay myself down for that person who has wants and needs today whom I don't even really know? And then the million dollar question that follows, how often do I actually follow through with that thought? Wouldn't it be nice if I fulfilled X for that person? But then that's all it stays. Merely a thought. Where do we find the ultimate source? The ultimate fuel for this divine love in our lives? How can we be energized, motivated to pursue, to express, to live out, to walk? In this divine daily love towards one another. John provides the answer for us here in chapter 4 verses 7 through 10. Here's what he says. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest or made known among us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In 1 John 4, 7-10, we are focused, we are zeroed in, we are reminded of five features of divine love 
that fuel our love for one another. We are focused in on features of God's divine love that fuels, motivates, energizes our love in our life. Refuels, fills up, helps us to love like Christ. And the first feature which fuels our love is a very straightforward one. It's divine love's command. Divine love's command. See this in verse 7 again with me. Look there. Here it is. Beloved, let us love one another. Pretty simple. There's the command. Let us love. Let us love. But it's interesting the way that John addresses them right from the start. What is the address? What is this term of endearment he uses? How does he label these believers in Asia Minor? Beloved. Beloved. Which is another way of saying loved ones. Hey, loved ones of God. Hey, you loved people of the one true God. Instantly, this makes me think of a question. A question that, I, that at times I need to reflect on myself. A question that I put before you to reflect on now. Are you one of God's beloved? Are you one of God's beloved? Are you a loved one of God? This term comes from the Greek word agape. You've probably heard that many times in church. Agape love. The Greeks had many words for the different forms of love, whereas in English we just have the word love. And we use it in multiple different senses. I love my mom. I love baseball. I love my son. I love my wife. I love God. And hopefully all of those aren't the same type of love. Greeks had a word for romantic love, for friendship love, for divine love. Agape. Beloved. Those who are loved with the divine love of God. Are you one of his beloved? We often hear this phrase in the world, in greater Christianity. Love the sinner. Hate the sin. Or you've heard it said, God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. If we follow the commands of John that we had in the previous section, verses 1 through 6, if we put this phrase to the test, sadly we find that this phrase is unbiblical. God does not love every person equally in this world. Listen to Psalm 5, verse 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes, O Lord. You hate all who do iniquity. Wow. God hates those who sin against him. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Person who does violence, God's soul hates. Listen to Leviticus 20, verse 23. Moreover, you shall not follow the customs of the pagans, which I will drive out before you, for they did all these wicked things, and therefore I have abhorred them. Even stronger language. Utterly loathe, despise, utmost hate. God loves righteousness. God is light. God loves holiness. Therefore, he must hate anything that rises its evil fist against the things he loves. Which is a hard reality. God hates sin, and he also hates the sinner. 
But there are people whom he does love, who he has set his love upon. And that is our question. Are you one of those specific people whom God loves? We find in Scripture that Christians are loved by God. Jesus' own words, John 16, 27, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. 1 John 3, 1, we studied this first. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. If you are a Christian, then you are the beloved of God. You are that unique, specific group in this world whom the God of all creation loves. Every human being, by nature of being created by the Creator, has worth. The image of God is in all people. But God loves those who love His Son. Are you a part of God's beloved? Because if you are, here is John's command. Here is the first fuel for our love for one another. And he's speaking to the beloved. Beloved, beloved, here it is. You must love God's beloved. If you are beloved by God, you need to love the others who are beloved by God. Which is to say, in other words, Christians, love other Christians. Love other Christians. Christians, keep on loving your fellow Christians. Above anyone else in this world, humanly speaking, Christians should love other Christians, John says. During the early 2nd century, 120 A.D., roughly 90 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven, this is in the early stages of the Christian church, there was an unbelieving Greek historian by the name of Lucian who intensely watched the Christians to see what they were like. The Christians were being heavily persecuted. There was trial and pressures all around them. The Romans called them atheists because they only believed in one God versus hundreds. They called them cannibals because they didn't understand the Lord's Supper. They thought it was literal blood they were drinking. They called them immoral because they used to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. So they, they extorted that to be sexual immorality. And this guy, Lucian, watched them. He wanted to see what the truth was about these Christians. And this is what he wrote. He said, it is incredible to see the fervor with which the people of that religion help each other in their wants. They spare nothing. Their leader, Jesus, has put it into their heads that they are literally brothers and sisters. What an amazing statement. The watching world saw these Christians... And we're confused because they treated each other like they were literally brothers and sisters of the same flesh. Christians must be marked by their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you really believe that the people sitting around you are your brothers and your sisters? Are they believed by you to be closer than your actual brothers and sisters because of your union in Christ? Do you treat those around you who believe in the same Lord that you do as a brother or a sister? How often do we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ worse than we would treat our worst of enemies? 
How often do we give them the coldest shoulder instead of the warmest embrace? How quickly are we to offend our brother and sister in Christ just so that we can comfort the unbeliever in our midst? What kind of love does this demonstrate to the world? How does this make the world desire to enter into the family of God? John reminds us and he fuels us with that command. Love your brother and sister in Christ. Loved of God. Love your brother and sister in Christ. And then he gives us the second booster to fuel our love for one another. The second booster, the second fuel, the second feature. Divine love's comparison. Find this in the second half of verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. John is making a very simple comparison and he's comparing the source of this divine love to the ones who express this divine love. There must be some sort of connection here. There's something to be compared about where this love comes from and those who are expressing it, living in it, walking it. So first he says, divine love comes from God. True, sacrificial, selfless, divine love only comes from God. This is to say that it cannot be found anywhere else. It cannot be produced by anyone else. This love has its origins, has its source in God alone. Which leads to an obvious conclusion about those who are living and loving with such a love. Those who truly love are born again. Those who truly love like this are born of God. If the source of this love is from God, then those who are expressing that love have to have some sort of intimate relationship with the source. There has to be some sort of connection through which this love flows out of them. Like a divine fire hose. If God is their father. If they are loving with the love of the father, then they must have a spiritual birth from this father. I, as humanly speaking, look like my father, my human father. I often people say I walk like my father. I talk like him. My demeanor is the same. And John is simply saying, if you look like your heavenly father, you love like your heavenly father, then you are born of your heavenly father. You're born of him. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.4 that in Christ and through the study of God's word, we become partakers of the divine nature. We have been given access to grab and take hold of God's own nature flowing through us such that we become more and more like him. We grow to look more and more like the divine God of the universe. And Peter is making an excellent point, and John concurs with him, that those who truly love know this God. And they know him in a personal, intimate, relational way. This isn't knowing facts about God. This is knowing him as a father. This is to say that the person has spent time with him in prayer, in the word, that they've lingered so long in the presence of God that they literally start 
to be just like Him. They are cut from the same cloth. You could say, to put it in modern vernacular, God's rubbed off, rubbed off on them. Are you spending enough time with the Father such that when people look at you, they see the nature of the Father flowing through you? They see the very divine love of God flowing through you? When you say that you are a son of the Most High with a little less, can people see that relation? Oh yeah, you must be related to the God with whom you say you are connected. When you say that you know the God of all the universe, do people concur with you? Or they say, what? You act nothing like this God you describe. John wants us to draw upon this relationship that we have to God in Christ to fuel our love. Beloved, you are related to the God of the universe in Christ. You who were once an enemy are now an adopted son or daughter. You who had no knowledge of God, no hope of knowing Him, you have personal relationship with God. What an amazing position to be in. Our divine love is fueled by this command. Our divine love is fueled by this comparison. And John focuses us in on a third feature of the fuel. Divine love's contrast. Look at verse 8. You can see it there in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now he flips the coin over. And he helps us to see what should not be in our tank. As we're pumping in the pure fuel of these features that John is giving us, he shows us the impurities that should not be in there. Which is to say how our pure divine love should not be. And notice he starts by saying, there is a one who does not love. There are haters who do not truly love. You cannot have divine love apart from the divine creator of love. There are many people in this world who say they have love, but it is not divine love. How many thousands of songs, how many millions of movies are about love? Songs about love, movies about love stories. People everywhere say they love something, but it is not this divine, this pure form of love. Many acts of kindness, many acts of generosity, but for personal gain, for worldly renown, for human satisfaction. People who go and build orphanages in other countries only to be known as someone who is so generous. Doing something selflessly for your friend, it seems, but only so they owe you, only so that you receive something in return. This worldly love, this false form of worldly selfless love is like a glass of lemonade yet with a single drop of poison in it. It seems to go down and taste sweet, but in the end it still kills. It still leads to destruction. There is still impurity in it. It is not holy to the glory of God. And it is not purely for the benefit of the person with whom it is going. And so there are those out there who do not truly love. And John contrasts this with whom? God, who is love. Wow. 
What an amazing reality. Not that God loves or that God is loving. God is love. Just as God is light, we learn that in John 1. God is righteousness, 1 John 2. God is holy, 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 Isaiah 6. God is love. God is love. Hmm. What does this mean? This is a hard concept for us. None of us could be said to be love. She is love. He is love. This is to say that God's very nature is love. Who he is, his existence by nature is love. Let me help you understand that a little more. It's not that there's a standard of divine love and God always meets that standard. No. It's that God's very existence, what he does, what he says, becomes the standard of love. Whatever God says becomes the definition of a loving statement. Whatever God does becomes the definition of a loving act. There is no standard outside of him for which he just lives up to supremely. No, by definition, he is love. And whatever he does and says becomes the standard, the highest pursuit, the highest expression of love. Just as whatever and whomever he is, is the standard of holiness. Whatever he does and says, whoever he is, is the definition and the expression of righteousness. God is love. And let me help you see something that needs to be said here at this verse. There are many in this world who would say, okay, God is love, therefore love is God. That wherever you find love... There is the divine. That love itself is deity. That is, as long as you're just loving, that's the highest pursuit of divine action. That any loving person is pleasing God, for love is God. John wrote the Greek here in such a way that that is not possible. You cannot switch it. God is love. Love is not God, which is to say that humans do not get to define what love is. God defines what love is. God defines what love is. And so what is this contrast that John wants to see here? Haters do not truly love, yet God is love. So there is no way for someone who hates to truly know God. If they do not have love, if they do not know love, then they do not know God. They do not know God. And John wants this, this to fuel us. How? Because when we see the love of God flowing through us to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we know we know God. We are secured and assured that we do know this God who is love. That this love from him is truly flowing through us who've been born again. Have you seen this love flowing through you in your life, in your actions with one another, in your pursuits, in the pursuit of your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ? We are fueled by divine love's command. We are fueled by divine love's comparison. We are fueled by divine love's contrast 
And yet John has only just begun. If John were filling our tanks with gasoline up to this point, now he pulls out the rocket fuel. Now he wants us to be living at light speed in our love with one another. Now he wants to take it to the next level, to the extreme. And so he focuses us in on the fourth feature, to fuel our love for others. We find this in verse 9, and that's divine love's clarity. Divine love's clarity. Look at verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifest among us. Manifest to present, to make known, to make visible. It comes from the idea of pulling back a curtain so one can see clearly. To make something plain before our eyes. John is saying, here is the clearest presentation of the love of God. Here is the most visible expression of God's love to fuel us in our love for one another. What is it? Look at verse 9. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we may love through Him. Wow. And this takes us right back to the garden. This takes us right back to our need. This takes us right back to our father, Adam. In Adam, all of us sinned that day in the garden. In Adam, we all fell, for we were all in Adam, unyet born. We were all sons and daughters in our father, Adam. He was our representative. We all inherited his sin nature, which is to say we were all spiritually dead. We were all walking zombies on this earth, physically alive, spiritually dead, spiritually rotten. Our greatest need was to be reconciled to God, to receive spiritual life once again, to be transferred out from under the penalty of our father, Adam, the wages of our own sins, and brought back to our God to be made new. And so what did God do to meet our greatest need? What did God do in His fullest, most clear expression of love? He sent His only begotten Son. He sent the Son. And the Son couldn't have been more opposite than us. Look at the Son. Look at the glory of the Son. Look at the glory of this gift from God. Look at the the beauty of this love, this love gift. Look at the fact that it is His Son, which is to say it's the precious Son of the Father, which is to say that from all eternity, the second person of the Trinity experienced intimate relationship with the first person of the Trinity. From all eternity, they existed in a loving relationship of Father and Son. Closeness. Love amongst one another. Notice that it's not only His Son, but it was His only Son. No other like Him. No other beside Him. The only Son. The only second person of the Trinity. And notice that it is His only begotten Son. Which is to express His uniqueness. That He's one of a kind. That He shares the very nature of God. That He was God. That God Himself came down. That God Himself sent Himself to the world. That the Son was sent into this world. This wicked world. That the Son would leave the glories of heaven to come to the wickedness of the world. That the Son would leave the right hand of the Father to live in and among the rebels of the Father. 
that the Son would let go of his glory to take on human flesh. What love that the author of life would come amongst the dead. That the giver of life would come to those who would reject life. That the creator would come to the creation. God gave his very best for the very worst. How does this not fuel our minds and hearts for love? What a selfless expression of love by the Father to send the Son and by the Son to come. If the Father gave the Son, what can we give to one of our brothers and sisters in Christ? If the Son was willing to leave the right hand of the Father, can we not leave the safety and comfort of our friend groups to go to the one who is outcast? If Christ can leave the glories of heaven, we can transcend down to those whom we may not know in love. This clarity is overwhelming. This fuel is so enriching. If we begin to grasp the clear expression of God's love. Oh, but John's not done. He wants to top off the tank. And so he comes to the final and fifth focus to fuel our love. Divine love's culmination. Divine love's culmination. And we see this in verse 10. In this is love. In this is love. In this is the height and depth of love. In this is the east and west of love. In this is the unfathomable, incomprehensible, the highest form of divine love. Ultimate love first is not human love to God, to God, John says. He has to say what it's not first. He has to remind us of what it is not. The ultimate expression of love is not that we loved God. That isn't the ultimate expression of love. That isn't the height of love. That humans would love God. Of course they would. Of course they should. He is God. He is the glorious one. He, was, he is the one who we were made to enjoy, made to love, made to find our fullness in Him, made to glorify Him. That is a given. That is not the highest ultimate expression of love. No, what is it? Ultimate love is divine love to humans, but that God loved us. Rebels, enemies, haters of God. Mere creation, dust of the earth, whom the divine God breathed life into. And yet we rebelled against this creator. That he would selflessly give of himself still to us. The ultimate expression of love is divine love to humans. Which is to say that ultimate love starts with God, not with us. God initiates his love relationships with those around him. We do not initiate them. He initiates with us. But it goes further. How is this the greatest of fuel? How is this the unending source of energy to love one another? How is this the inexhaustible generator of our laying down of our life? It's because divine love is this. God propitiating human sin himself and sent his son to be 
the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. Propitiation. We learned this word. Propitiation. A a satisfactory sacrifice for the wrath of God. Something that satisfies God's justice. Someone who stands in and receives the penalty for sin. The one who comes into our courtroom hearing as God is bringing down the gavel rightly against our war crimes, against the almighty king of the universe. Us who waged war against the king. Us who sought to, if we could, we would reach into heaven and slay God himself so that we would take his throne. The very son of God stepped in And took the wrath of his own father for rebels. The king died for the enemy. So the enemy could serve the king. The king died for the enemy. So the enemy could become a son of the most high king. Through adoption. What would happen if I lied to my one year old son? What would happen to me? Nothing would happen to me. But it would be pretty sad for him. What would happen if I lied to my wife? I might be sleeping on the couch tonight. What would happen if I lied to my boss? I might get fired, depending on what I lie about. What would happen if I lied to a human judge, perjured myself, go to prison? What would happen if I lied to the president or someone in office in a way that was treasonous? Under old law, I could even lose my life for that. So what do we expect when we even simply lie to the God who created us? You see the pattern? The punishment, the severity of the punishment is equal to the one whom you commit the crime against. We are talking about the creator, the sustainer, the life giver of all people. The one who can take your breath away from you in a moment. The one who gives us life. Those crimes we committed, his own son stepped in and took the penalty we deserve. The cursings that we should have received, he took upon himself from his own father. And the blessings that he should receive as the son, the righteous, morally perfect son, the obedient son of his father, those blessings we receive as though we were his son by faith in the son. Amazing. What love? What love is this? What love is this unfathomable act of sacrifice by the divine for the human? Amazing. Amazing. Five unfathomable features of divine love to feel our love for others. The more we meditate on this love of God, the easier it should become. The more we should will and desire to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. If God went to such a great length to pay the price for sinners, how much more can we go for our brother and sister in Christ? It's amazing. I simply ask you, do you know this divine love? 
Do you have love for the Son and the Father in the Son? Have you thrown these war crimes, this life of sin, this life of rebellion far from you to cling to the Son, to love the Son, to pursue the Son, to sacrifice your life so you can have the life of the Son of God, Jesus Christ? And is this love just flowing out of you, your love for the Son, is it flowing out of you to those whom the Son also died for? Let's ask the Son's help in this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Son. Our hearts cannot express, our minds cannot comprehend the depths, the riches, the heights of the love of God in Christ Jesus for us. Help us to grasp something of this love and help it to turn over, not only in love for you, but love for one another. May the world truly see this love, this this divine love flowing through us. And may it be so desirable to them. May it be so glorious to them. May it not be cheap and worldly, something they can find anywhere. But let it be the true love of God in us that they can only find in you through the Son. We ask this, Lord, in the name of the Son. Amen. You've been listening to the More Sure Word podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt Russell. We hope you join us again next week. I'm Riley Whittington, and may God bless you in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.